This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 249. Hey everyone, I just wanted to remind you that my book is out. It's called Love Your Veterinary Life. And it is all about how to train your brain to feel better about what you do for a living. Set some boundaries, kind of fill out your life so you're not feeling so burned out in vet med. So I, there's some stories in here. I really think you'll probably enjoy some of them or you might recognize some of them as um, similar to your own. But there's questions in there that will help you work on your mind, try to get to better thinking, do some work on yourself to feel better about that that med. So you can go to my website. There's a button that you can click on there that'll take you to Amazon, or you can go to Amazon and search on either my name or Love Your Veterinary Life. And if you do read it, please leave me a review if you like it. That would be amazing, and it'll help me get into more people's um, hands. So Love Your Veterinary Life, Dr. Julie Capel. Thank you so much. And let's get into this wonderful podcast with Chris Miles. Hey, friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a really cool guest for you that I'm excited about. His name is Chris Miles. He is the cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. He's a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. Chris has used his knowledge not once, but twice to become financially independent, where his passive income exceeded his expenses, not to mention paid off his $1 million in debt after the last recession without filing bankruptcy. That's impressive. He has been featured in US, US News, CNN Money, Entrepreneurs on Fire, Bigger Pockets, and has a proven reputation with his company Money Ripples, getting his clients fast financial results. In fact, his personal clients have increased their cash flow by almost $300 million in the last 12 years. That's impressive. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks. Appreciate that. I think it's Great now over $300 million, So Is that what a few what extra months. It's over $300 million, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. Now, it said almost, but now it's over. That's great. Because yeah, money just keeps them. growing, right? It does. So I always ask my guests first is to just kind of tell me their story. Like, how did you get to doing what you're doing? Not the way I would expect and not the way that yeah. most people expect. You know, I wasn't like the financial genius. I wasn't like Michael Michael P. Keaton from Family Ties who wanted to be an economics major and all that stuff. Um, although I was, I did like that character. I thought he was funny. But um, for the most part, I mean, I was kind of kid that was raised by hardworking parents, taught me good values. You know, they're very middle-class. My dad worked in the automotive industry. My mom was an artist, you know? So, I mean, really, uh, it was pretty much just teach me how to work hard, follow your passions, you know, your word is your bond, you know, that kind of thing. But the one thing that they definitely did not teach me a lot about was money. Mm. Money was, if anything, scarce. It was always lacking. You know, you'd always hear phrases growing up like, what do you think I am made of money? We can't afford this money. Doesn't grow money on trees. You know, on you know trees, those... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you probably heard of the same thing or something similar, right? Yeah. And, absolutely. you know, especially when they were like just barely after uh, depression era mentality, you know? So, uh, I mean, so it was always about save everything you can get. Don't have debt, 
you know, that kind of thing. Really, it was like Dave Ramsey, but before Dave Ramsey was grown up. It was you Dave know? Ramsey, right. Yeah, it was very much that philosophy. And so so I was raised in that. And, uh, and so, but I knew I didn't want to be like them, right? In the sense that I didn't want to feel like I'm always just working to survive. I wanted to thrive. I wanted to have something more. So when I went to college, I was going to become a business consultant. But then I, I realized if I'm going to do that, shouldn't I have real life business experience, not just an MBA? So I dropped out of college. I said, let's take a little hiatus, short hiatus, find some business to do, get some real life experience, and then go back for my MBA. Well, when I was doing that, the first business that came up that became kind of intriguing to me um, was becoming a financial advisor. Little did I know that they take anybody off the street. All you have to do is pass a test with 70% and not have a criminal history and you can, you're in, right? Wow. And, that's uh, a little scary, isn't it? It is a little scary. Yeah. You really don't have to be a financial genius. And, and I, I felt like, you know, a little like, uh, if you remember the wedding singer, you know, when he goes in for that yeah. bank job, he's like, and they're like, well, what kind of bank experience do you have? He's like, well, I've got a jar with money in it on top of the fridge. I like <laughs> to add more to it. That's where you come in. I was kind of like that, right? Like, yeah, I right. took an accounting class and some banking class in high school and stuff, but not enough to really say I knew much about money. But I figured if I could at least learn about money, maybe that would be worthwhile for my dad who believed that work would literally kill him. Like he would actually work until he died. Yeah. Um, in fact, he, already by his 40s, he had strokes and heart attacks and things like that. Uh -huh. So I wanted to give him some of his life back, even if it was just one or two years of his life. So I went to that, that, that industry, was there for several years. Mm -hmm. Then pretty soon, to my surprise, my dad actually called me up and said, when are you going to become my financial advisor? Which I never yeah. expected because, again, he changed my diapers, right? Right, I'm not right. The guy it's, that... it's a different thing for a father to ask his son, right? Absolutely, because he was always one giving me advice, which was, you know, save everything, be cheap, right. you know, which yeah. is his mantra. Don't borrow. And yeah, it's very much this, you know, make everything, you know, make do or make without, you know, that kind of thing. And so when I sat down with him, he said, Chris, I'm 61. I want to retire. How can I do it? And I looked at his money for the first time in my life. He opened up all of his books, saw that he'd stuffed money in his 401k, paid off all his debt, including his house. He was 100% debt-free. He was the Dave Ramsey poster child. Right. But when I looked at his money, I said, Dad, yeah. I'll be honest with you. If you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long it is before your money will run out. Yeah, that's not good. No. And, I, and he's like, well, what else can I do? I said, I don't know. You did everything right. You know, everything according to what I teach as a financial advisor, you did it. Um, and so it, it really disturbed me. It disturbed me because I thought I could actually give him his life back only to find out, oh yeah, maybe he can have five years of life, but really is it much of a life to have to keep working a little bit longer so that he may not outlive his money? And so of course, when the students ready, the teacher appears, um, one of my, one of the guys I hired to be a financial advisor quit months prior to go do real estate investing. And I thought I'd give him a call to see how he's doing. I figured, oh, he's probably chased that pipe dream and he's losing money right now. Nope, I was wrong. I, I followed up with him and he says, man, Chris, my life is awesome. It's never been better. In fact, I, my dad and I have partnered on some real estate deals. We've now doubled his income as a professor at the local university. Wow. And I said, come on, that's too good to be true. Right. There's no way that's possible. And he basically just stopped me. He said, Chris, how many of your cl clients are truly financially free where they don't worry about money? And even when I thought about, like really honestly thought about my clients that were retired, but they were still watching CNN freaking out because when you watch CNN, the, the sky is always falling, right? You know, right. they're watching, they're watching CNN. And they're like, man, I'm going to, I hope I don't die 
you know, I hope, I hope that I die before I run out of money is what they're really saying. Right. 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 And, uh, I was like, well, that's not much of life. So I said, none, I don't think any of them are really free that way. And he said, well, how about this, Chris? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but doing these same investments? Because if anybody has it figured out, it should be you guys. Right. And as I really was honest with myself, and there's about a hundred guys in our office. And I remember there were some guys working there since the late 1970s. I realized none, none of them are free. Hmm. And that, that really, it got, that was kind of like the nail in the coffin for me. Yeah. Right? That's and I tried to make it work because I, I wanted to, I wanted to work because I liked helping people. But he made it very obviously clear that I wasn't really helping people. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I, I took the red, the matrix red pill, right? I took the red pill. Right. I eventually quit being a financial advisor because I couldn't stay in integrity teaching something I knew didn't work. I like evidence. I like to know that things do, their, do the job. And that wasn't doing it. And so I started learning more about things to do on the real estate side and even creating passive income and get your money to work harder for you so you don't have to work so hard for it. So the point where you can become work optional, you have enough passive income to pay for your bills. Right. And pretty soon later that year, I was work optional where I could quit. And that blew my mind. I was 28, almost 29 years old. Didn't believe that it could happen that quickly, considering I was hoping and praying I could do it by age 40, save up those mutual funds. I've saved $2 million, live on my 3% to pull out $5,000 a month. Right. That's right. what I was hoping for. And this completely blew it out of the water. Huh? So why do you why do you think this, that that's the way to go? Like, was it all real estate that you were doing in Mostly, order to yeah. real estate, get yourself financially related. free? Cause I know that's a big thing right now. Like everybody talks about it on TikTok and how to get rich and yada, yada. But, you know, I know from owning some real estate that it's not all passive. Like you, you no. need to work it. Like things well, happen and that... things break. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's the problem with Instagram and TikTok. And again, I got good friends that are doing those videos, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, I'll sometimes even point blank point it out to them. It's like, listen, what you're doing is not passive. You are an active investor. And even right. then, many of them are actually active business owners that real estate happens to be the business they're in. Uh, right. For example, they talk about wholesaling, you know, like you can wholesale a deal. You don't have to have the money. You just do basically broker the transaction between the buyer and the seller and you make money, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like being a real estate broker or agent. Right. That's not an investor. That is an active business owner. And they, and they work hard. I know because I've talked with many of them that make multi-millions. They work harder than almost anybody out there. And right. even those that have rentals, if they're their own property manager, they still have, you know, I might put in the semi-passive, but for the most part, if they have enough properties, it's not passive at all. They have an active real estate business. Right. Passive. When I talk about passive investments, I really mean passive. So for example, if I buy a property, I don't buy a property in my own backyard. I don't even buy a property, especially in the Western half of the United States, it stinks out here. Um, the Midwest, the Southeast, much better deals. So I'll have a property manager, one, help me find the property so I don't have to find it. Two, you know, sometimes they'll even set me up the financing. Other times I just have my own financer or banks that I can use. Three, I buy it. And then four, they property manage it for me. So I don't deal with the tenants, the toilets, or the trash. Now, I do have to manage the property manager, make sure that they're doing with their job. As long as they're right. doing their job, it's very passive. Then if it's they're passive. Not, it's active, right? It goes right back right, to active. Right, Then you got to find another property manager. That's right. So there's things like that. Another, another one that's very passive as well, and legitimately passive, that I learned back then, and, and, and still do to this day, is becoming like a hard money lender where I lend the money to the investors for them to do all the work. 
So I lend them the money. They contractually pay me a return. It could be anywhere from 10, 12, 15%. You know, in fact, I just did one recently. I got 15% agreement with that hard money. And for that, like I'm just lending them money. They don't have to deal with the banks. They get money fast and easy and they, and it's painless. They pay me interest only when they sometimes will pay me interest only at the end of the deal. Like I had one that, that last one at 15% it was just three or four months, you know, and that was it. That's all they needed the money for. So there's things like that you can do. There's also things you can invest in what are called syndications, which are really you're pulling money with other investors to go tackle a larger project like an apartment building or self-storage units, which are kind of more recession resistant, not proof recession resistant. Right. Um, you can even invest in like oil and gas. That's another thing I've been doing lately. That's been great. Um, in fact, that's been one of our darlings for a lot of our clients. Uh, raw land. I have a partnership, so not so much in, as a syndication, you know, but a partnership where I send them the money, they're actively buying and flipping your land and selling it to the the owners on terms. So they pay me like the bank. Um, I invested about a quarter million about a year and a half ago. It's now paying me about $7,600 a month. And I'm just reinvesting that. So probably by the end of the year, I'll probably hit around 10 grand a month with that money. So things like that, like there's so many, when you, when you really take that pill, right? That written, that matrix pill, you know, when you take that, you sort of realize there's a whole world out there and even more than I mentioned. I mean, there's things like car wash opportunities. You can invest in a car wash business, pool money with other investors to have ownership in something like that. I mean, there's just so many ways to make money where you can have it backed by real assets like real estate. You know, even if you get into a business, it's nice to know that you can have real estate as part of those assets to have claim to just in case, right? It's the yeah, same thing right. banks do. I mean, if you, if you really think about it, banks are pretty smart investors for the most part. Again, they do some dumb things, which is why they have to get bailed out, right? But when you look at banks, usually the more smaller to mid-sized banks, they're pretty darn smart because when they lend you money, they only lend you money for a few different things. One is your business. If, as a veterinary, if you have a veterinary practice, that's one thing they'll lend for because they know that's something you can control the returns, the outcome. So they're willing yeah, to lend. And it's that. relatively low risk, right? That's right. Relatively low risk, depending on the industry, right? Some some mm -hmm. uh, professions are more higher risk than others. You know, where right. veterinary practice, like it's just like a dental practice or medical practices. Banks love them because they know they very rarely go out of business as opposed right. to like maybe a chiropractor. We've worked with hundreds of those. They're a little bit riskier because they're not always great business owners, right? Um, so you look, banks lend for that. They invest in you to invest in business. They also invest in you to buy properties. They'll let you put 20 or 25% down on a property while they'll lend you all the rest. Why? Right. Because it's a real tangible asset they have claim to. But notice they'll never ever lend you money to put in the stock market, like every financial advisor is telling you to do. Truth. They won't lend you money putting mutual funds or stocks. They yeah. won't do it because it's high risk, mediocre returns. And the question you should be asking yourself is, well, if banks won't ever put their money in that, why should I? Yeah. So how did you end up in a million dollars worth of debt? Like, how did that all come about? That was part of your story, right? That's right. A million dollars yeah. in debt. What happened? Because people say like, how'd you, how'd you retire twice by the time you're 39? Easy. I screwed up the first time. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So tell me that screw up story. Cause this is the thing with money, right? Like we all want to get rich, but there's always risk. And there I is. think, you know, all the, like, let's buy a building, let's buy a house, let's do all this. And, but there's still risk. And so yeah. what happened to you? Yeah. So I got bit by the 20 something year old, overambitious greed bug. Right. Mm, um, yeah. 
and 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 I wasn't super risky in a lot of ways, but um, a lot of also with the recession, the global financial crisis that happened, a lot of things kind of aligned that made it even worse, right? Right. Uh, so, for example, you know, when I was doing things, so at first, two thousand six, I was legitimately making like four or five thousand dollars a month, uh, just passively, like literally only managing something for like a couple hours a week. You know, like I was right. I was doing the four hour work week before Tim Ferriss talked about the four hour work week, right? But but then 2007 came up. I was getting bored and antsy a little bit. I was trying to find something to do. And I came out of retirement to, to join force with another guy. And uh, we created a coaching company. And this company was going to help people get out of the rat race and liberate the world. And he even told me, he says, listen, like we got a mission behind this. I want you all in. Get rid of those extra streams of income. So mistake number mm -hmm. one, I cut off my passive streams of income because I was trying to be a team player, right? Right, right. Mistake number two is that the the market we were aiming for were real estate flippers, people that were flipping real estate properties, which came to a head in 2007. So we felt right the when the when the market went in the toilet, right? Yep. <laughs> and everybody well, lost a lot give, of money. Oh yeah. I mean give you an example. Like I also made another mistake. This would be mistake number three. I was throwing equity into my house. So I was paying extra to my home because I was still mortgage licensed. I knew that I could get a mortgage whenever I wanted because right. in 2006 and even early 2007, anybody with a heartbeat could get a mortgage, right? Yeah, they were throwing money at people. I remember that because I put an addition on my hospital right before mm -hmm. that that whole housing market thing. And yeah, they would give me as much money as I wanted. Exactly. So I figured it would be safe to do almost like what Dave Ramsey teaches, which is pay off your debt. And I'm going to pay down right. my house because worst yeah. case, if I need it, just do a home equity line of credit, pull it out, right? Right, right. Wrong. Because <laughs> I remember I dumped a bunch of equity in the house. And I noticed that with this business startup cost that we had, plus we noticed that some of our real estate investors were starting to get, they were starting to, their uh, flipping was slowing down all of a sudden. It was almost like it came to a screeching halt. Right. So I remember July, 2007, I had all this equity in my house. I said, you know, I better pull that money out. And I thought I was a genius because there was more equity in there than when I bought the house the year before. Well, when I went to do that, they said, oh, you know what? We're just starting to change the rules in July here. Just get your credit score up two more points and we'll give you the loan. So of course you got to wait till the next month when they pull credit in August. I did right. that. My score jumped up more than two points. And they said, oh, just last week we made a few changes. You now need to do X, Y, and Z to qualify for this loan. So do that and keep your credit score up for another month. And then we'll give you the loan in September. Wow. Did everything they asked. September came around. They said, we're sorry, we no longer give loans to business owners. And yeah. that was that. Yeah. All the equity was trapped in that house. And of course, as you know, the market came crashing down. I watched right. the equity disappear and evaporate over the course of one year. Mm -hmm. um, even when I tried to sell it and, and try to do what they call a short sale, which is selling it for less than what you owe on your property. Right. You can make an agreement with the mortgage company to do that. Even when I tried to do it, they wouldn't accept the offers. Why? Wow. Because my mortgage company was Lehman Brothers. <laughs> mm, yeah. owned by Lehman Brothers. So they would much rather foreclose than actually uh, let you sell the house. And so that's what eventually happened after a year and a half. Eventually there's a knock on my door in 2009. Guy says, I bought your, your home at the courthouse for half of what you bought it for. Can you get out? And, uh, and I basically had to find a way to move out. And, uh, and so during that time, I went from like when I say millionaire to upside down millionaire, where I was a million dollars more broke than the homeless guy on the street. And it taught me a lot of good lessons. One, it taught me that one, even, even if you are debt free and I would have, even if I was debt free, I, that still didn't make up for my negative cash flow situation because right. expenses were going out of the practice. You didn't have had. any like emergency money cash sitting around. 
But even when I did, it got eaten up right away because right. you know, but when I, I stopped tracking my money, that's another mistake I made. I because money was so abundant, you just think, ah, I'm fine. I can just make well, more. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, by the summer of 2007, I started getting this pinch a little bit. I noticed that my savings were dwindling fast. My balances are starting to run up on my credit cards. I looked at my numbers and realized between my business and my personal expenses, I was short about 15,000 a month. Wow. And I realized that, Ooh, that's not good. No, that's not good. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so I got to a point, it got to a low point where, uh, I mean, by 2009, I didn't know what to do. I didn't file for bankruptcy, like, like you'd mentioned, but it would have been easier if I had. It would have been right. easier to hit the reset button at zero and start from zero than at negative 1 million. But I'm just too dang stubborn. And, and I thought maybe it was just because somewhere in the back of my mind, whether it was a spiritual prompting or even just a little bit of ego mixed with that spiritual prompting, something in the back of my mind just said, you know what? I bet you can find a way out of this. And if you did, what a story would that make? Right, right. <laughs> and now you have that story. And now I have that story. Yeah, it, it did take some time. It, eventually, we got the business up and running by later 2009 when, um, funny enough, I stopped teaching people how to get out of the rat race because I can't teach something I'm not doing. Right. But- I did uh, start teaching people how to find money, how to find resources, um, especially in the chiropractic and dental space. There's a lot of people that started finding us because we would save them like 10, 20, 30 grand a year in taxes with the CPAs we refer them to and, and give them some active strategies there. And we'd help them pay off debts with little to no money out of pocket, you know, and free up money that way. And, and I knew uh, that we were on to something big, and especially before I launched Money Ripples, when I launched my own company about 11 years ago. Um, it was, I remember dealing with a couple in North Dakota and they, uh, I mean, he was a chiropractor working his tail off five days plus a week, had no energy for the weekends for his family. And after we started working together, we freed up about $6,000 a month. Um, this is without investing, by the way, this is not even yeah. passive income. This is just freeing up cash. 6,000 a month. A lot of it was from like refinancing and paying off certain loans that weren't serving him anymore, keeping other loans, you know? Um, like student loans debt, a lot of times we would keep the student loan debt and let that pay out normally, but we would pay off things like, you know, refinance the house to then pay off other things like practice loans, or maybe it was like uh, credit cards and things like that, things that had a higher payment for the balance. And uh, so we freed up 6,000 a month. That first month, guess what? Um, that $6,000 went to buying a four-wheeler. Now, someone like That's a Dave what I Ramsey want. I want a four-wheeler. I know <laughs> who does I've always it, right? said I want one of those. I just don't have anywhere to drive it. So <laughs> that's you know, North Dakota. You got plenty of space, right? Right. And, uh, and that's, and that's the thing. Like the wife said, Chris, I know that everybody else like a Dave Ramsey would be, you know, judging us for spending money on that. Right. She's like, but you understand that $6,000 to buy that four wheeler was an investment for us because now my husband feels he has permission to only work four days a week, giving him more energy, more time for us on the weekends. I got my husband back. And my kids got their father back. Nice. And that's and that's really what this is about, right? It's not right. just about, you know, creating passive income and, and making money. That's the math part of it. The real part is what does it do for you emotionally? Does that free up your time to be able to pursue passions that you wouldn't have normally? We had one client said, I want to pursue oil painting more, you know, and I want more time to do that. You know, another client said, honestly, I just I want to be able to have time with my kids while they're still young and they still want to be with me versus when they have their own lives and it's too late. And then I've lost that on that time. Right. You know, it's, it's for many people, it's more like buying that time back more quickly. And that's where the passive income comes in because if someone has a hundred thousand dollars in the stock market, if you, that's all you have for retirement, let's just say, you know, a financial advisor is going to tell you to only pull off 3% a year. That's 3000 bucks a year 
even if you had a million dollars, you live on 30,000 a year. That's like retiring broke. You're right. in the poverty line as a Less millionaire, broke. you're a broke millionaire. Yeah. But so we're, that same we're... million dollars, I had a client where in California, where we're able to get that, you know, he bought some duplexes that are being managed by somebody else. He went to some apartment syndications where again, somebody else is operating that he did some things with oil and gas. And now he went from 30,000 a month that his financial advisor was recommending to now 130,000 a month, or sorry, not a month, uh, 30,000 a year to 130,000 a year. And that's all without touching his money, his principal. So he still has that million dollars kicking off a harder, better return for him. So we're talking to veterinarians that are either like young and they've got lots of student loans. I mean, sometimes not even that young, like 20 years in, they still have student loans. And then yeah. other people that own businesses in vet med or just work as veterinarians. So if you're talking to them, what would be like your first piece of advice if they are interested in learning what you do with passive income? Like what would be the, how do you start that? If you're just starting out, I mean, I'd recommend focusing on your practice, being profitable. Profit is everything. A great book to read is Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Great book there. Um, that's that's really, I think, the number one focus is that your number one investment should be your practice. And even with student loans, like I know a lot of people, like they look at the balance of the student loans, but understand it's not the balance that creates stress as much as it is the monthly payments and thinking that they're going to go forever, right? Right, right. But in many cases, student loans are one of your best friends. Because I tell people, like, let's look at it. Let's just say that you have $200,000 of student loans that you have to pay off still. And let's just say that you are paying $2,000 a month. Well, could you take $200,000 and invest in your practice and make more than $2,000 a month? If not, you probably shouldn't be in practice for yourself. You probably should be working for somebody that owns a practice, right? Because any, anybody who's a business owner that's at least been around for a little bit knows that they can make a lot more than 2000 a month with 200 grand. You could probably make 2000 a month with 20 grand sometimes, right? With the right marketing or the right, you know, aspects that you or the right strategies that you're using in your practice. That's the difference. Um so I tell people like that student loan was probably one of your best investments ever. It got you to profession that you can create a lot of good profit and then you take that profit and you use that to start staying, you know, saving and storing. Um, one that I know uh, we have a few different chiropractic clients. Um, one of them actually is out of the rat race now. He's literally work optional at this point. Another one's pretty close if he's not already. Um, but both of them, the first strategy that one of the first strategies they use is called infinite banking. That's one thing that we do in our company as well. And you can learn more about that on our YouTube channel, Money Ripples channel. Um, infinite banking is basically like a supercharged tax-free savings account. So rather than storing it up in your, your 401k plan, which if you have a practice, your 401k plan is super expensive and makes you very, very little returns in the market. Um, give you an example, Fidelity. Um, I, I was just looking at their, their funds, their target date retirement funds. They underperformed the stock market by 2% in the last 10 years. So they did 2% worse than the stock market. And they have a 0.75% spread. That means you, you're literally losing almost 3% a year compared to the stock market. Now, many people try to convince you the stock market does like 10, 12% a year. That's false. The last 30-year average of the stock market has been 7.75%. So do the math. You take away that 2.75% from 7.75, you make 5%, and then you got to pay your own match, you know, that, that, that and, and you just pay taxes down the road anyways. When now you have all the tax write-offs of being a business owner, why defer your taxes to a point where you might be taxed more in the future, you know? So- a 401k plan and IRAs really make no sense for a business owner at all. So we look more at infinite banking where we can actually 
save that money in a whole life policy. Just don't, don't ever buy that from your Jake at state farm <laughs> type of person. Right. Um, they don't get it. They don't understand it. Plus their companies don't encourage it and they don't, they, they purposely set them up to be more expensive. So you can't do it. Um, there are very few companies that support it very well, and it's good to have an independent broker that can help you with that. But that's a great place you can save money instead, and then you can invest it wherever you want. Rather than locking up in prison until you're 59 and a half or older, if they change the rules, you can actually use that money now to generate income. So one example is uh, one of my veterinary clients. He has two sons. So he had one on himself, and he had you know a very big one he bought. But then he decided, he came to me, he said, you know what? Can I do this on my two kids? He had two sons who are about 10 and 12 years old, uh, respectively. And I said, well, yeah, you could. And so he's putting in $12,000 a year for each son. Uh, by the way, if you have not work in the practice, you can kind of pay them that money tax-free, which is kind of cool. Um, but that 12,000 years going into those, those whole life insurance policies, very little is coming out in costs. That's, that's why you have to have them very specially designed that your average agent will never know. When you do that though, now that money's available, you can use to invest. So he's starting to take the money pull it together to buy real estate properties that then that becomes their college funding. So he doesn't use the 529 plans that everybody talks about. He's instead pulling it in there. And then as they build up more and more cash, use that money to invest to generate double digit returns with real assets backing it up. And so he's already got their college savings plan, like building up fast, um, way faster than he would just doing any traditional plan that's out there. So that's, that's something that can work for whether you're starting out if you're just getting you're young and starting out, it's even cheaper for you than it is for this guy. Right. Um, but then two, uh, even if you're more established, we're having more and more practice owners doing this because they want control of their money. They and not to mention it's free from creditors and lawsuits in most states. Meaning you could have millions of dollars here, and if you get sued, no one can touch it. Even if they win, they can't because it's a life money. insurance policy. Or why is that exactly? Yeah, life insurance. Because I always heard that those are bad. Oh yeah, and if you do life. the traditional ones. They are yeah, bad. You're they right. are bad. Yeah, like so this the is ones that Dave special. Ramsey rips on. Yeah, like the ones you hear Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey rip on, the traditional whole life is horrible. Now, you'll hear people call it Dave Ramsey saying, well, I use it like my own bank. Well, he still rips on it, but he has no real justification because he just doesn't see it. Now, right. he, understand that this guy is still telling people that the stock market returns 12%, right? Like right, it's never right. returned 12% and he still teaches that stuff. So you got to be careful who you listen to. And you got to, and, and again, it has to be done with the numbers, like the real math behind it. And it works. Um, the cool thing I love about it is that I don't let my money just store there. That's the mistake. Many, even if there are a few people out there to teach about infinite banking, the problem is they tell you to store money there. And then at retirement, you have this tax-free income and yeah, you can maybe finance cars with it or houses. That's the traditional thing they tell you about. Don't do it. <laughs> um, for example, I just financed a car two weeks ago because we were in a car accident. The car got totaled. We had to get a new one. I ended up financing my car through the bank at 3.7%. I'm not going to be using my life insurance policy for that. I'm going to be investing that money with my policy to do that. And the reason I want to invest my money with using my own insurance policy is because I can make money in two places at once. Because instead of just withdrawing my money out, which I could do at any time, instead, I'm going to get a line of credit from the insurance company at a low rate of like five and a half to 6%, right? So I get that money out from them at a low rate. I then turn around and invest it. But here's the cool thing. When I borrow from the insurance company, they don't touch any of my money that's sitting in that account that's earning almost 6% tax-free. So I'm earning tax-free returns on my money. Yes, I borrow it, but then I can still use it to invest. So I make a little spread here where I make a little bit more interest than what they're, they're charging me. 
and I make money investing too. So I actually make money in two places at once. That right there is the real secret behind it. That's why we refer to it as like max ROI, infinite banking, because you can actually get paid in two places at the same time, much better than just using your savings account at your bank. So what's the definition of infinite banking? Is that is that part of this whole life policy or is this just like a technique? Like, it's I don't know technique. what that means. It's a whole life policy is what you do it with, um, but that's the vehicle. But the technique they call infinite banking was a guy that created it back in the 1980s. Um, the, the reason they say that is because Say, for example, you want to go put a down payment on a property. It's $30,000 down payment, right? So you you decide to take a loan out from the insurance company for $30,000, and they're just offsetting that with your cash that's sitting there. That tax-free savings account, they use that as collateral. And you can do this with any bank. This You won't get as good terms when you do it with the bank because you can borrow from a bank with the money sitting in the savings account. You can say, can I get a line of credit against that? And they'll say, yes, of course, because we'll lock up that money. We won't let you touch it. As you pay the balance down, then you can get that access to that savings account again. Same thing with the life insurance policy. You can get access to that capital by using that, you know, the money that's in there in cash, the tax-free savings account as collateral. You get a line of credit out from the bank. Now, they're going to charge you interest, of course, while you're also getting paid interest. So it kind of washes itself out there. Right. But what you do is you take that 30000 you put that down payment on that house. And let's just say that the house is going to pay you 250 bucks a month or $3,000 a year. Well, you're going to take that 250 a month or 3,000 a year back to then go and pay down that line of credit. So it's almost like using a home equity line of credit, but you get paid interest on it <laughs> versus only paying interest, right? And so you take that money, you're not paying down that line of credit to then very, what can you do later? Use it again. Same thing you would have done normally if you bought a property, took that 250 a month or 3,000 a year, put in your savings account and built it slowly over time. Same thing, but you just use this line of credit here, making a little extra interest at the same time and then you could pull the money out faster to go and invest again the second time and so on. Yeah. So it's always a constant banking cycle. Money's flowing in and flowing out. Think about what banks do with you. you know, I already mentioned this. I kind of mentioned this before, alluded to it, but banks invest in you, right? Well, even when they give you a car loan, let's just say they give you a car loan. Right now, uh, I checked my credit union. Normal car loans are about 7.5%. So if I pay 7.5% for a car loan for a five-year car loan, but then I look on their other... The other side where they're showing their in, the savings rates in the bank, when I walk in there and I see this five-year CD, much like the five-year car loan, but not the five-year CD, but they pay me 3%. Like, wait a minute, they're paying me 3% to then loan it back out to me at seven and a half. Right. They're making literally bank, right? Right. They're making, right. And they're not making just four and a half percent. They're making really about 225% on that money. Because although it costs them 3%, they're making seven and a half. So really they're making more than double because double would be 6%. They're making over a hundred percent return just by leveraging your money and using it in their favor. That's all you're doing. You're borrowing from the insurance company at a lower interest rate. You're also getting paid better interest too, tax-free, and you're able to invest it to make more money. You take that money and use that to cycle through and you have your own infinite bank, right? It just keeps cycling through. So that's why they call it infinite banking. So what's the danger of that? Um, like happened to you back in 2006, mm -hmm. if you have all these loans going out from this insurance account that you're that's, like, you're taking out loans, so you owe that money, right? Yeah, so what happens if I, everything collapses? Then collapses. Yeah. If I did have money, see, I made the mistake in 2006 when I bought one of these, because I heard from real estate investors, it was the best things in sliced bread. Right. But when I bought it, the, the insurance agent said, yeah, you won't have any money for the first two years. So there will be oh. no cash in here. 
everything's going to insurance costs because whole life insurance is normally front loaded. It's expensive, unlike term, right? Which is more expensive. What's that? Yeah. It's expensive yeah. to get into it, right? It is. It's expensive up front and then it gets cheap later on. Uh, term is the opposite. It's cheap up front, gets more expensive later on, then you'll never be able to get it when you're usually dying. That's why right. only less than 1% ever pay out. But um, with whole life, I found out later after I lost the policy, because when I was going in the hole, I couldn't keep paying those premiums. There's right. no cash to, to help me float the premiums. Well, what I found later, and I spent really the last 15 years designing was how can I get it to pay for itself? Um, if you reduce the cost and I, I confronted the agent that sold it to me because I said, I'm like, listen, I found out you could have sold it to me. I actually asked him point blank. Can I overfund this to where there's cash in from day one? And he told me, no, I found mm -hmm. out he lied. And the only reason he lied, he when finally after a two hour debate, um, he finally just said, listen, Chris, the reason that I, I did it that way is because I can't afford to cut my commissions. Oh uh, yeah. They're all the making season. money on that stuff. Right. That's right. Because whenever you pay an insurance cost that they get paid a percentage of that. So we minimize those insurance costs as low as they can possibly go while keeping that still tax-free and protected from credit creditors and lawsuits. Hmm. So where somebody puts in say $10,000 that first year, if I put in 10,000 in his plan, I would have zero cash the first year and zero the second year. I'd put in 20,000 bucks to have nothing to show for it. By the way, I paid 25,000 to his plan, had nothing to show for it, which is why I lost him. If I were to do the same 10,000 a year, depending on somebody's age and health, they would have at least seven or 8,000 from day one that's in there that they have available to them. Mm. Even by year two, even more. And then by usually year three or four, it's paying for itself. That's actually making more than what it's costing you. So usually by the sixth year, I've already have just as much money as what I've paid into it versus waiting 15 to 17 years normally. So we just accelerate it. We cut those costs back as much as we can legally, you know, and then allow it to grow faster. So that's the real secret. So the downfall is, is that, no, you don't want to be putting every single dollar in this. Um, that's one thing I tell people to do. Keep some money in the bank still, but I keep the minority in the bank while the most of it, I keep in my life insurance. Um, so I use my emergency reserves to fund it the first few years. And then I invest with it after that. Hmm. That's uh, one key strategy there for certain. Another thing is, like I said, the, the biggest risk is usually using the wrong people because 99% plus of insurance agents don't even know how to do it. And if they do, like my friend, my former friend used to do, um, you, they just don't want to cut their commissions back. So they'll somehow, they might give you something in between. You know, if you put 10,000 in, maybe you'll have 6,000 in year one. You think you're doing amazing, but really you got overcharged one or two grand a year yeah. than you should be. So hmm. you just have to be careful. That's the highest risk. Um, other things, if you can't save at least 5,000 a year, I wouldn't recommend doing it. Just get convertible term that you can convert to something like this later on or something like that. Right. Right. So what other, um, passive income streams, you talked a little bit about real estate mm -hmm. and, um, kind of getting that going. Is that something that somebody can do on their own or do they need, well, you said to have managers, but do they need to have advisors to work on something like that? Cause it seems like that's a little complicated as well. It can be, I mean, you can do it yourself. Um, but you might have the long, hard battle like I did <laughs> where I've built that network yeah. over the last really 15 plus years, almost, I guess now it's almost going on 17 years now since I've been doing this. Um, so you could do it that way. You could do it on your own. And there's plenty of opportunities out there. Trust me. There's plenty of people wanting to take your money right now and invest it. Um, I would recommend though, if, if you can find a community of people to help support you there. Um, there's, there's things like bigger pockets. Like you mentioned that in my bio, like they, they have yeah. like an online forum, but again, that's kind of a pitch fest. There's a lot of people being pitched on there. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't. Um, I've been mentioned on there too. 
for the good, not for the bad part. <laughs> um, right, of but, course. Uh, but yeah, you could do that. And then we even have our own community too, where we, uh, if somebody qualifies to be a VIP client of ours, we actually work as strategists and connectors. So we can even look at somebody's overall plan. And especially if you have at least, I would say at least 150 to $200,000 of investable money, whether it's sitting in savings, whether it's money that maybe is an old 401ks or IRAs, you know, things that you could be using to invest differently. By the way, keynote, one, one thing people don't realize is if you have an IRA, you could actually invest in these very investments I talked about, like real estate backed type of investments. Um, you can invest it wherever within you want. The, you, within the IRA. Within the IRA, correct. Yeah, so it's called self-directed IRA. So you usually have to find a self-directed IRA custodian, not Fidelity, right? Um, right. It would be a Fidelity type company. It would be you know companies like uh, Equity Trust, which is a huge IRA company, um, but they let you invest it however you want. You know, so there are ways to still invest with your IRA money. Although we get a lot of our clients that say, you know what? I don't want to wait till I'm 60 years old to touch this money. Can I get it working for me now and generate passive income so I can actually feel the benefit today? Right. So sometimes we'll strategize, figuring out how they can, you know, minimize the tax on their IRAs when they do that. Um, Sometimes you can invest it in different places. Um, But ultimately it's really about how to, you know, one, know what to do with the money you have. And then two, connect you with people that we've vetted ourselves that I even invest with myself that, you know, doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but, but definitely it allows you to be able to kind of get, skip a lot of the extra due diligence and Google searching and everything else you'd have to do normally to be able to find those people. Well, and whenever you're dealing with money, there's never a guarantee, right? There's always risk. And I think that's what sometimes we forget it. Like, it sounds really good. We can make all this money, but there's always that there's always some risk involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like even like I would say the lowest risk investments I have are like my turnkey real estate properties, right? Where I own it, somebody else manages it and they have strong cash flow. So like I have a property in Memphis, nothing bad's ever happened in five and a half years. I've made over 300% return on my money with that money there. But um, I also had a property in Alabama I just sold off that we still made a return. Actually, we made a pretty decent return still. Um, you know, and it it was a it was about forty thousand dollar down payment, and we made maybe about um, about seven thousand dollar profit in cash flow over two years. But then we sold it for for more than we we owed, so we actually made another twenty five thousand profit on top of that. So we still made about a seventy five to eighty percent return in two years. Um, just because we had some appreciation to help. But right. um, I mean, we had a horrible property manager that was on that property. And in fact, she rented it to her son. And so they were charging us for stuff. We had to go back nice. and deal with a little bit of headache. Yeah. Again, we walked away with with more money than what we invested right. and, and got all right. of our money back too. But, but then you're um, back to the point that it's not really passive. <laughs> yeah, that it's, situation- When it passive. is passive, it's fun. You know, if you have a building that's paying you rent and nothing's bad's happening- then that's awesome. But then when something bad happens, it, it changes from being passive to being quite active. That's right. That's where yeah. that's where the property manager is everything because right. that was a horrible property manager there. And, and we decided to fire them after that um, and just sell off those properties and get our, get our gains back out of it. But, you know, I got properties in Memphis and, and North Carolina, places like that. And they, they've done awesome. In fact, I have to keep wow. asking my wife, it's like, wait a minute, are we still getting paid on North Carolina? I don't hear anything. <laughs> going on with that money coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would add to that. Um, I know a lot of veterinarians that own their building. Mm -hmm. Um, and that to me is a really wise investment because then you can pay yourself rent. Um, if you're the owner and then if you ever do sell your practice, you can keep the building and 
get rent from that. At least that's mm. what some of the veterinarians that I know have done. Actually, if you want me to teach you a cool little strategy, I know we're about out of time here, but I'll teach yeah, you one cool strategy to kind of blend these two things together. Cause you mentioned okay. like you can rent your building. And I think that's a great strategy to do. Right. Um, I have one practice owner. He actually was saying, he's like, listen, Chris, I want to buy a building. Know, I want to buy a building. It's 325,000 plus I need another 50,000 for build out. So I need 375,000. I have this old life insurance policy. I think I'm just going to cash it out, cancel it, take all the money out of it and then get some extra money from the bank and then just finance it that way. Right. And I said, hold on, Sparky, slow down here. <laughs> Before you just jump the gun, I said, we might have an opportunity. I said, because you have this life insurance here, you can use this as collateral with the bank. And it will actually be double collateral because you'll stop the building, but then you'll have this to help give them a little extra warm and fuzzy, right? Right. So I said, go to your credit union and ask them, will you, will you be willing to use the life insurance cash value, the savings account as collateral? They said, and he went to the bank and they said, yes. And not only did they give him the loan, but they gave him the loan by more than 2% discount from what he wow. would have gotten normally. So yeah. he got this dirt cheap mortgage payment. It was like 1800 a month, got all the money for the build out and everything. So he got more than what he was leveraging on the life insurance side. Right. He got this dirt cheap mortgage payment. He eventually built it out, got a renter in, was paying his rent for him. And then of course, like you said, any rent you're paying yourself is basically, it's not only just free rent, but now that my rent's just really going back to himself anyways, right? Right, right. You're paying off that mortgage and take, yeah. taking the extra. <laughs> exactly. He's got yeah. the extra profit there. But on top of that, he went back to the bank a year and a half later. He said, listen, we built it out. We've got a renter in it. It's all done. Can we take the lien off my life insurance now? And the bank said, yes, and we'll keep the same terms. So nice. even though he could have gone and financed the, the you know, the, got the loan, it, he would have probably right. paid about $2,800 a month. Instead, right. he saved himself $1,000 a month by using the life insurance as collateral. as collateral. And then he was able to take the lien off and he can use the life insurance for to invest in whatever he wants at, after that point. Yeah. Well, I think, cool that, I think the thing that together. I, go ahead. Oh, I was saying that's a cool strategy. You can blend together the passive right. income side with the life insurance to make it really work in your favor. Yeah. The thing I, the thing I think whenever I talk to somebody about money is there, it's very complicated. And so you have to be careful and you have mm -hmm. to, you know, know who you're talking to and play out all the odds and, you know, what's likely to happen, what could happen that's unlikely, you know, with the, with the way the economy goes recently, it, it's a little scary. So, that's you know, nice. it's all, it's all good stuff to, to listen to you say and, and interesting. And so that's it helps to have somebody help navigate it. Right. Right. Exactly. So let's just finish up since we're getting towards the end with just, you know, maybe one or two statements that you want to make um, for advice for people and then tell us where they can, find you and what you do and learn more about your business. Yeah. I think the one thing, if I were to leave with anything is just reiterate what I said earlier, right? Is that it's not about how much money you accumulate that creates freedom. Like the accumulation thing doesn't work. If that were the case, I wouldn't have so many Dave Ramsey poster children coming to ask us for help because they say, Hey, I'm worth a couple million in net worth, but I'm still stuck in my own rat race, right? I'm still stuck practicing each right. and every day. Uh, right. Even if I have other docs and people helping me out, I'm still running the practice. I still can't just walk away. What do I need to do? And that's, and that's where passive income is everything. That's why it's not about accumulation. It's about acceleration of your money, how to get your money to pay you and work harder for you. So you have to work hard for it. And it doesn't mean you have to retire. That's the thing retirement, I think is becoming kind of a, a taboo phrase for a lot of people. Cause yeah, I don't you know, like that word. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't either. I, I remember I could do it. I could have done it twice. And every time right. I've tried it, I get bored out of my mind. Right. And and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now is I'm following my passion by teaching and leading that way and and giving people hope. And and that's the my overall message to each of you is that you have hope. You have no matter how bad you think things get, even if you might be a million dollars in the hole like I was, you can get out of it. You know, that was me in 2008, 2009, and still by 2016, I was out of the rat race the second time where I was yeah. work optional again. I love that it's message. Awesome. Yeah. There's so always hope. There's always hope. Yeah, that's great. So tell the listeners um, where they can find you if they want to learn more. Yeah, you can either go to moneyripples.com um, or you can even just follow our YouTube channel, Money Ripples. We also have a podcast, Money Ripples podcast on there, as well as in iTunes, if you listen to shows on iTunes as well. Awesome. That's great. Any last words before we wrap up? It's been really fascinating and interesting and I love it. And I could probably talk to you for another couple of hours because I have a lot more questions, but um, I'm we sure can, we can I, always I come can back and do it again. Hours. <laughs> yeah, I know you get into this stuff and you start getting into the weeds and it's, it's fascinating. So, but I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. It's been fun meeting you and learning about what you do. And I appreciate Take your care. time. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been an honor to be here today, Julie. Great. This is Chris Miles. And um, thank you so much. And everybody have a beautiful week. Thanks. Bye, Chris.